My name is Christian Burkhardt. I'm the children's pastor here at Cornerstone. We, we re, hey, thank you. Uh, we, we rearranged the cha- chairs a little bit in here this morning just to create a few more aisles because there's going to be a little interactive stuff that we're going to do now. We got kids in here. How many kids are in here? Where's the kids? Raise your hands. Right on. Right on. Hey, on behalf of all the grown-ups, let me just say we are so glad that you're in here. At least most of us are. And the ones who aren't, hopefully you will become glad as the weeks go on. Because one of the things that the Lord's really put on our hearts here at Cornerstone is that we don't always want to separate into age stages when we worship God, when we learn from his word. We want you guys here. We want you guys learning from us and learning with us. And uh, that makes us think a little bit more creatively. It's been a lot of fun. We've been putting a lot of work and thought into uh, what we're going to be doing over these next few weeks, and we hope you guys are excited too. For those of you guys that are in the NPR, you guys will be able to be a part of everything we're doing uh, in this room too. We've kind of made it so the way it will work uh, in both rooms. Um, you guys will notice there's all this blue paper up on the wall. Uh, you will figure out what that's for in a little bit. There's some markers on the wall, and uh, or markers next to the wall, and you'll see what that's for. But Basically, let me just get us started here by by letting you guys know what it is we're going to be talking about over this whole month. As Jared said, man, we have this amazing God who wherever we go, he is there because he is everywhere. He is everywhere. And in particular, he has shown us throughout his word that he wants us to be with him. You might think about that and go, well, that's kind of weird because if God's everywhere, doesn't that mean that we're always with him? Well, yeah, it does. But there are particular ways throughout God's word that he shows us how he wants to be with us in really special ways. One of them is what we celebrate at Christmas time. When we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is born, you can go ahead and put the first verse up. This is from Matthew chapter one. This is when the angel comes to visit Joseph, who is engaged to be married to Mary and goes, wait, hold on a second. She's having a baby. What's going on here? God very kindly sends an angel to him to explain him Explain to him what's going on. And here's what the angel says. Joseph, Mary, this girl that you're going to marry, she will bear a son. She's going to have a baby. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. She will be pregnant and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Keep that word in mind, Emmanuel. We're going to be talking about that a lot over the next few weeks. God with us. That's what it means in Hebrew. Emmanuel means God with us. But the cool thing is, is this idea of Emmanuel, of God wanting to be with us, it doesn't just start with a baby being born in a manger, or born and then put into a manger on the first Christmas morning. It starts all the way back at the very beginning of God's story. Let me, guys ask you, let me ask you guys some questions, particularly for the kids. What is the first book of the Bible? Anybody know? What is it? I, heard, I saw a hand. Genesis. Thank you very much. How does the very first verse of the very first book of the Bible start? How does Genesis 1-1 go, go? Does anybody know that one? Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Exactly. Absolutely. Now, how did God create the heavens and the earth? What did he use? What kind of tools did he use? How did God create the heavens and the earth? Does anybody know? Yeah. His breath, or more particularly, it says that he said it and it happened. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the water and the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then God said, 
let there be light. And there was light. I don't know about you guys, but I can't say something and then magically it appears. That would be incredible. God created everything that we see with words. He spoke it into existence. That's why the words that God says are so important to us because they are so powerful. God created the world with words. How long did it take God to create the world? How long did it take? Yeah. Ooh, close, close. How long did it take? Drew, six days, exactly. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested, he rested. It took him six days to create the heavens and the earth. Now, the very last thing that God created, what was the very last thing that God created? People, absolutely. Now, what was different about the way that God created people versus how he created everybody else? Anybody remember? Yeah. He made them out of dirt, absolutely. We're going to look at that. What was different about them? You know, like he created rocks and trees and giraffes and... He made them in his image. Thank you very much. You go ahead and put that next verse up. This is from Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created us with a special job to rule over everything that he had made. And he created us in a special way in order to do that. He made us in his image to be like him, to have a relationship with him. And he did all that because his desire was that we would be with him. His desire was that we would be with him. In Genesis chapter 3, we, we, we're going to look at that later on in a little bit this morning. In Genesis chapter 3, we hear about this idea of God coming and walking in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He created them to be with him. And that was the best part of why God made them. Basically, here's what we're going to do this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 4. We're going to look at this first place where God created to put the man that he had made. Starting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. It's up here on the screens if you can't find it in your Bible. All right, ready? Here we go. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet on the land and no small, field, small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Close your eyes for a second and imagine this. Imagine just a pile of dust, like dirt that you'd find in your backyard. Then all of a sudden, God begins to take that dirt and he begins to mold it into the shape of a person, kind of like when you're making like a sandcastle at the beach. Like arms and legs and head, shoulders, knees, toes, all of that. But an amazing thing happens that doesn't happen when you make a sandcastle at the beach. As God is forming this human body out of dirt, it turns into a body. It becomes flesh and bones and fingernails and hair and all that kind of stuff. And maybe a belly button, we don't really know. But then God breathes into the man's, this body's nostrils. And what just before had just been a pile of dirt 
becomes a walking and talking and thinking and breathing and becomes a person. It's amazing, isn't it? Now look what God does next. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so up here on the stage you guys see we had some, some friends of ours here at the church paint us the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. But those were only two of the trees that were in the garden. It says that God caused to spring up every kind of tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. So here's what we're going to do. Here's why we got all this blue paper. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send parents and kids. We made the paper taller than your kids are so that way you didn't have to help them with it. Um, we're going to send you guys to the walls, and here's what we're going to do. For the next while, the band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing a few more songs. And you're going to grab those markers, and we are going to create the rest of the garden in here. All the other trees. We've got a shortage of brown and green markers, so just be creative as far as the color of the trees. But that's what we're going to do for the next little while. We're going to create every tree that is pleasing to the eye and good for food, just to give us a better feel of the Garden of Eden. All right? So as the band comes up, that's what we're going to do. Kids, you go ahead and go ahead and make your way to the wall with your folks. Amen. All right, you guys can take a seat. If you would, on your way out, just if you have any markers with you still, uh, put them back in the little basket so they're ready for the next service. But guys, look around the room. We've got some pretty cool looking trees. Very colorful. I love it. It was fun this week imagining what it would look like. And you guys did a great job. So picture this. This is the kind of world that God created Adam and Eve to live in. This beautiful garden where you'd walk around and go, wow, that fruit looks good. Wow, that looks, fruit looks good. You know, like think about all the good fruits we have that we can eat. Like oranges and pears and bananas and avocados and oh, such good stuff. And God put Adam and Eve in this garden to take care of it. But it wasn't just like a garden like you have in your backyard. It's almost more like a huge park, like a big like national park. Like how many of you guys have ever been to Yosemite? Where it's just huge and so many different things that you can do there. That's like what this amazing place was that God created and he put the man there. He could run and climb and hike and swim and run around with lions and tigers and take care of a garden that didn't have like weeds <laughs> or like you didn't have to deal with drought and everything burning and dying or frost. It was perfect. It was so perfect for them to be in. And plus that, Adam didn't do it alone. We find out in, later on in Genesis 2 that God made a helper that would be perfect for him. A helper that was suitable for him. He took one of his ribs and he made it into the woman and he put him, them together. And they didn't fight and they didn't bicker and they didn't try to take control over each other. They just worked together perfectly taking care of good, God's good garden. But I don't want you guys to think that all of this and the trees and everything like that was the whole point of it. Everything that God created was to be the setting, the place where they would enjoy him. Everything that God made, all of the good trees, was the place where they would enjoy being in his presence. He was what made the garden so special. If he hadn't been there, it would have just been a bunch of plants. But that was the place that was their home to be with God. That was what made it so special. And Adam and Eve loved being with God. Man, when he would come to walk with them in the garden, they'd go off and they'd run with them. And they'd do whatever they wanted with him. You know, like imagine that. Imagine if you had been in that garden with God. What do you think you guys would have liked to do together? 
Think about kind of like with your parents. If you have something that as a family you really love doing together. My mom and I growing up, we would just sit and talk. She taught me how to have a good conversation. My dad and I, man, the thing, even all the way through high school, if we were just going to hang out together, we'd go over to the batting cages over there on LA Avenue and then go get dinner at McDonald's and then go see a movie afterwards. That was what we liked to do together. Imagine Adam and Eve just having stuff like that. When God would come, they're like, hey, let's go hang out and play that game we made up last week or whatever. You know, like how cool would that have been for them? Everything about it was meant to be the place where they would enjoy being in God's presence. It's kind of like if you, have you ever had a nightmare? You know that scary feeling when you wake up and you're not sure if it was real or not? What do you do? You cry out for mom and dad, right? For your mom or your dad. And you go to them and they hold you. And when they hold you, you feel so safe. Isn't that such a cool feeling? Like feeling safe after you've been so afraid? I imagine that's how Adam and Eve felt most of the time. Except they were never afraid in, the, afraid in the first place. It's like all that good feeling of being safe and secure without ever having been scared. I think that's why it talks about them being like naked and unashamed. There was nothing for them to be ashamed of or afraid of. They didn't have to be afraid of other people hurting them or even of hurting each other. And they never even sinned against God, so they had no reason to be afraid of him. It was just such a safe, special place to be with God. But we know it didn't stay that way. It would have been great if it did, but it didn't. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. I'm sorry, actually, before we do that, okay, turn there, but we're going to look at one verse before that. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. God had put the man and the woman in the garden, and he gave them one more gift on top of all the trees and all the goodness that he had given them already. He gave them one more gift, and it was a rule. It was a good rule. Check it out. Here's what he said. Verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Usually when I teach this story, before I get to that verse, I ask kids, what was the one rule that God gave? And over the last several years of teaching kids, invariably, every single time, kids have gone, oh, you can't eat from the tree, you can't eat from the tree. I'm going, that was only half of it. The whole point of having you guys draw all these trees was so that way when you hear this command, you may eat from any of the trees in the garden except one. God's rule wasn't just a you can't do this. There was also a you can. You can eat from all of these trees. They could even eat from the tree of life. Or if they ate from this tree, it would cause them to live forever. And out of all of the trees that God made, he had one that he said, this one's not for you. This one's not for you to eat from. And if you eat from it, you will die. Your relationship with me will be broken. Your life will be broken. Life as you know it will be over. God told him to trust and obey him by not eating the tree. God put the tree there. He put it there. He caused it to grow there. But it wasn't for them. You see, part of Adam and Eve having such a perfect relationship with God, part of Emmanuel, of God being with Adam and Eve in the garden, was that they needed to understand who he was and who they were. He was the creator. They were his creation. He made them. They belonged to him. And this rule was to show them that reality. You are mine. I know why I created you. 
And here's the instructions that I'm giving you. What God was trying to teach Adam and Eve through this whole process was the joy that comes from obeying him. For those of you guys who are kids, it's hard to obey mom and dad, right? Doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun. My prayer for you is that as you grow, you begin to understand the joy that God was trying to teach Adam and Eve about. When you gladly follow and obey your mom and dad, it brings joy. It absolutely does. Because they know better than you do what's best for you. That's the same way it is with God. The things that God tells us to do in his word are for our good. He knows better than we do what we're supposed to do with our lives. And so he gives them instructions. This was a good rule that God gave Adam and Eve. But look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Satan, God's enemy, crept into the garden disguised as a serpent. And here's what happened. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you may not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You shall not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Think about this, what the serpent says. He first comes to her and he goes, okay, hold on. There's this whole rumor floating around us animals that like God said you can't eat from any of these. That sounds really harsh. Why would God create this whole garden with all these really good looking trees and then tell you you can't touch them? That sounds a little crazy. He distorts what God said at first and then Eve goes, well, no, no, we, we, we can eat from them. Yeah. But he said there was one that we couldn't eat, and she added this whole thing about touching it, but we'll talk about that another time. You'll not surely die, the serpent comes back and says. He straight up says, God's lying to you. He says you eat it, you'll die. I tell you, that's not true, but as a matter of fact, something amazing will happen. If you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will not surely die. As a matter of fact, something great will happen to you. I mean, I know your life is pretty good right now, getting to be with God and all, but I'm telling you, there is something better than being with God, being like God. Because when you are like God, you get to call the shots for yourself. You get to be your own God. I'm telling you, that is better than being with him and enjoying his presence. And God knows that. That's why he told you not to eat from the fruit of this tree. He doesn't want you to be as good as you could be. He's holding out on you. He's trying to scare you off by saying you'll die. But really, he's just trying to keep something good from you. What Satan did was he tried to tempt her, or he tried to, to deceive her and trick her into thinking that God is not good. Because if God is not good, being with God is not good. And what he's offering her is much better. Let's see what happens next. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was also to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She looked around at this tree, and then she looked at all the other trees, and she goes, okay, those look good. This one looks good. 
But this one looks good too. Those ones have fruit that's good to eat. This one has fruit that's good to eat. But these look pretty good too. But not only that, the serpent said that if I eat from this one, I will become wise. My eyes will be opened. So she says, okay, that sounds worth it to me. And she takes the fruit and she eats it. She chose to obey the serpent or believe the serpent rather than believe God who had made her and whom she enjoyed being with for so long. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths or clothes. Like, okay, oh, we're naked. Quick, put clothes on. Okay, here, grab some leaves. Okay, stitch them. Okay. Yeah, no, not going to work so very well. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is where we get this idea that this wasn't the only time that God came to be with Adam and Eve. Because they knew the sound of him. How many of you guys know the sound of your mom and dad's car when it's coming down the street? You know? Sometimes that's a good sound, right? Yay, dad's home! Other times when mom's like, you just wait till your dad gets home. That's not a happy sound, right? I think for like Bill Lucas's kids, they got to hear him from across town because he's got that little bug that just all the way across town, you know? They heard the sound of God, which normally had up to this point had been such a good sound. Yay, he's here. Let's go run. Let's go play. Let's go create games and do stuff together. But now, instead of it being a good sound, the thing that once they enjoyed so much, they were afraid of. Go back to the, the, the slide before that. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I don't know if we have that one up there. This is verse 7. Verse 8, actually. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The very trees that God created to be the thing that would provide for their needs, they're like, quick, let's hide in those. Let's get away from him. Satan said that if they ate from the tree, their eyes would be opened. And they were. He made it sound like a good thing. They found out that it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't as great as they hoped. It wasn't great at all. Everything changed for the worse. Life as they knew it was over. They were ashamed that they were naked and they tried to make clothes for themselves. And then when they heard God coming, instead of it being a good thing, they ran and they hid from him. Oh no, (laughs) he's here. Oh no. We don't want him to be here. Wait, what? You don't want him to be there? The whole reason he created you was to be with him. And now he's come to be with you and you don't want him? Man, something went wrong. Look at verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, well, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave it to me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In the rest of chapter 3, God tells Adam and Eve what the consequences would be for their actions. He talked to the woman about how now she would have a lot of pain in childbirth. 
Women, is it painful to give birth to children? Okay, okay. Yeah, my, we, I, we have two boys myself, and my, mom, my wife wanted to uh, go gung-ho and do them both natural, which she did. But she intimately knows this curse, <laughs> you know? There would be much pain in childbirth. Not only that, he said that now the man and his wife, they wouldn't work well together anymore. They would be fighting each other for control. Do what I say. No, you do what I say. Listen to me, woman. Don't call me woman. You know, like, they'd be going back and forth like that. You know? Instead of working well, it was like, it's like an old car that starts to break down. You go to turn the key and it just doesn't do it anymore. They didn't work the way that they were supposed to. Now the, God told the man that life would be hard, that his work would be hard, that taking care of the, it wouldn't even be taking care of the garden. He would have to try to get plants to grow out of the ground. And it would take all of his strength and energy, but now there would be thorns and thistles and weeds and all sorts of bugs that would eat the plants. And it would take all of his effort just to have enough to eat. And as he worked that hard, his body would break down and get old until he died and returned to dust. But that wasn't the worst part. All of those curses of pain and fighting and death and hard work, those weren't the worst part. You know what the worst part was? They had to leave God's presence. They had to leave the garden. The place that God created for them to be with him, they had to leave. Look at verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. Think about that. He drove out the man. It's like the sound of like he chased him out or he had to herd him out of the garden. The man did not seem to go willingly. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, these angels, these angelic warriors, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve were broken. They had broken their relationship with God. They had broken their relationship with each other. They were broken and sinful and evil and wicked. Rather than being God's friends, they were now God's enemies. They were separated from God because of their sin. The last thing that God wanted was for Adam and Eve to still live forever in such a broken condition. He didn't want them to live forever as his enemies. So he takes them out of the garden. He takes them away from the tree of life that would cause them to live forever. And they had to leave his presence. I cannot imagine what that would have felt like. I cannot imagine what it would have felt like for Adam and Eve every day to wake up. Imagine those first few days. You wake up and you're so used to waking up laying on the cool grass in the middle of this garden with the sound of a river trickling by and it's so peaceful and maybe you cuddle up with a lion and something like that. Imagine those first few mornings where you open your eyes and you're in the middle of a desert and you're going, oh no, that's right. We broke God's command. We're separated from him. We're never going to be able to go back to that good place that he made. We put together a video. There's going to be a series of videos over the next few weeks that are kind of meant to be like parables or like stories to kind of give you a picture of what this must have been like. So it's about a three-minute video. Go ahead and put your attention on the screens, and then we'll finish up.
Imagine how sad Adam and Eve must have been, you know? They knew that they had caused it. Imagine living the rest of your life and every time you experienced pain, every time you experienced death. And we know that Adam and Eve, their kids, Cain and Abel, they fought against each other and Cain, or didn't even fight, just says that Cain went and killed his brother Abel. The first death that Adam experienced wasn't even their own, it was their son's. All the time going, We made it like this. We made it like this. We knew how good it was being with God, but it wasn't good enough for us. We wanted more. And in wanting more, we lost all of it. If that was the end of the story, this would be the saddest story ever. But it's not. Because God didn't just curse the man and the woman that day. He cursed the serpent too. And in his curse of the serpent, there's a promise that tells us that God is not done with us. Look at this. This is Genesis chapter 3. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, that word enmity means like fighting, anger, war. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Look at that last part there, the part about there would be enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. That means that the children that would come from the woman, there would be this continual fighting, this continual anger between them and the serpent. But then there's this part at the end. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What that means is that one of the people, a guy who would come from Adam and Eve, great, 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 a hundred times great grandson, would come, and when he fought with the serpent, something amazing would happen. This idea of bruise, that bruise isn't quite the right word for it. It's more the idea of like to strike with a fatal blow or with like, like a crushing blow. It's like when it's, you get bit by a snake. That's why it says strike. That what's going to happen is that in this fight between this descendant of Adam and Eve and the serpent, they would fight together. And he would come, the son of man would come, and he would crush He would strike with a deadly blow the serpent. But in the process, he would be struck by the serpent in a way that would be deadly for him too. Wrapped up in this promise is this idea that God is going to do battle with the serpent. And he's going to use a descendant of Adam and Eve to do it. Now, let me give you guys a little clue. That one, that great, 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 great grandson of Adam and Eve who would come and would kill the serpent... That promise is talking about Jesus. 
That's why Christmas is such a big deal because at Christmas time we celebrate the birth of the one that God promised all the way back at the beginning of the story in Genesis 3 that he would come and he would save us and he would destroy Satan. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. But you know what? There's a few other parts of the story that we got to get to before we get to that. So next week, we're going to look at the next part in God's word where it talks about him coming to be with his people. And it's in this big, huge tent called a tabernacle. You might actually see it in here next week. Okay? It's going to be a lot of fun. But for now, just think about this fact. The God of the universe wants us to be with him. He knows how great he is. He knows how happy it will make us to be with him. But we don't. We've been twisted and broken by our sin to the point where we don't want God. Now normally, I would think it would make sense for God to be like, okay, you don't know what you're missing out on. You don't want me? That's fine. Because I'm awesome. And you should want me. But if you don't, that's your problem. It absolutely is our problem, but God is going to fix our problem. We don't want him, but he wants us. Okay? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your good word. Thank you so much for these great and rich promises that even when we don't want anything to do with you, You come to us. You are Emmanuel. You are the God who comes to us. God, I pray for these following weeks. Lord, would you just protect us from so much busyness that we lose sight of the fact that Christmas is the time when we celebrate you coming to be with us and fix us so that we could be with you forever. We don't appreciate that good news until we see how bad it is that we're separated from you because of our sins. So Father, would you make that reality true in our lives, in our hearts, in our families as we go from here and talk together that we are lost and broken and separated from you, but you have come for us, God. We thank you for that and we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.